you bow your heads with me today. Jesus, uh, we're here to worship you. We really don't have anything else to offer to anybody other than you. And so as we have sung songs, as we've talked about the fact that you've given us marvelous light, our eyes were once blind and closed and dark, but now we see. Open our eyes and our hearts today. Your, 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 the word, the music, it's prepared us to listen to see what it is you want to say to us personally. So today, may our hearts not worry about who's not here or who's sitting next to us, but may we let the Spirit of God speak to us and teach us something today Say something to us today so that we can be more like you, Jesus. That is the goal of our life in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing before we get going, thank you folks, that was some good worship. Before we get going, I want to let you know that August 11th, August 11th uh, is a uh, picnic at the Candace for both of our churches. Uh, there's a map out back. There's, uh, they have like six acres on the water there. There's baptisms going to be there. Uh, who's on announcements? Roger, you're on announcements. So Roger will be giving a little bit more. You have to fill out a form to be baptized. It's got to be in the week before. So, all right? Are you ready for some love? You know, I often think that um, you probably couldn't write any songs if you took two words out of the English language. Baby and love. And so just a little bit of medley for those of you who are around in the 70s, possibly, maybe a little bit into the 80s, just to prep you so you know that all we need is love. Kill all those lights for me and just play this. Some of you got that. I want to know what love is. Love is a battlefield. Some of you, some of you got that in there, or some of you didn't. How many of you knew Paul Simon in that song that he wrote, he loved me like a rock, that he said, Love me like the rock. She loved me like the rock of ages. I, I never knew that, and but now I can't get it out of my head. And I was singing it to my wife last night. She told me to shut up. <laughs> the top of your notes, if you're new to Lifeline, I have a set of sermon notes there. Follow them if you want. Pull out your smartphone. We got to, if you go to your smartphone and you go to those three little dots, you hit that, you go to live events, it'll pop up. All the notes, all the scriptures, everything are right there also. At the top of your notes I have, there's uh, at least eight different types of love according to the Greeks or the ancient Greeks. So when you say all you need is love, the question is, is what kind? That really is the question, because I, I, I really do believe it. But here's eight different kinds of love. The first one you may know, it's eros, which is erotic love. There's philia, which is affectionate love, or Philadelphia, brotherly love. There's familiar love. There's a playful love, obsessive love, an enduring love, a self-love, and what you may know biblically as agape or selfless love. I do believe the statement, all you need is love. The question is, is which of those eight are you going to pick? All of them together, none of them, one of them, whatever it might be. I would like to take a little bit of a look at the world today and talk about three kinds of love that you could take a look at with me. We'll get a few examples. We'll take a look into the world. We'll take a look at what is being taught to the young generation that is coming up now in their 30s and on into their 40s. So I have in your notes, choose your love. The first one you might want to choose is what I titled ignorant love. And I didn't put that from a mean perspective. I'm not trying to be mean in any way, shape, or form. I took myself a note next to that says, Evan, be kind. When I say an ignorant love, I'm talking about a naive kind of love. It's the belief that all people will respond positively to my sentimental love if I just love them. And that's the way the rest of the world is. And they're thinking there should be no wars, there should be no fighting, no strife, nothing like that. For those of you in the 70s, Edwin Starr's song, War, is their theme song. War, good God, Lord, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. 
That's their theme song, and that's what they believed. That's about all the entire song ever said. This is kind of the picture of the hippies. You know, the hippies and the peace sign and the whole Woodstock thing. And our generation has our hippies. Some of them have grown up into that, but we have the ones that have this kind of love. It's an ignorant kind of love that just believes everything would be okay if the world would just love. I had something sent to me uh, through uh, one of my daughters, and it, uh, it was, love is all we need, and it went on saying, if, if we could just love as much as we're negative, and I just was like, man, this is perfect. This is what many people believe. And one of the things that you've seen and one of the things that I've seen is this kind of love thinks that something, I saw it this week, because these people, they're, they're liberal politicians, they are, they're, they're business owners, they're, they're everywhere, and they believe, you heard it, 9-11 was our fault. What happened on 9-11 was our fault because we're the bullies of the world. And if we had just been kind to everybody, this would have never happened. And I say that this is ignorant because this takes into no account that there are criminals in the world, everybody. There are people with bad intent, and they would not like to say this, but there's evil in the world because that's a little too spiritual for them. Ignorant love blames the the one who has been attacked. You must have done something or it wouldn't have happened. But try attacking them. Try saying something to them. Try, they're, they, then that's just, you've, caught, you've crossed over the line, them. They want us to be tolerant of their kind of love. Well, you know, they don't really want to be tolerant of our kind of love. Ignorant love knows very little about sacrificial love because it is so self-centered. They think the same things. They want the same things. You see it all over the media. You see it all over TV. It's all in secular humanism. It's in our schools. It's everywhere. They want the same thing the hippies want. They want free sex. They want free drugs. They want to be free. They want to be left alone. And a good example of this is one of my daughters sent me a little article by uh, uh, an interview with Miley Cyrus. Now, we're not here to pick on Miley Cyrus, all right? Miley Cyrus is who she is, but she has been brought up in what I'm talking about today. There's all kinds of a male and female out there. Watch out for these three things with them. We need to reach out and reach them. It may frustrate us. Let's not click our tongues at them and just condemn them to hell. Let's reach them like I was reached at age 25. Miley Cyrus, number one, says, Why are we trained that love means putting yourself second and those you love first? If you love yourself, then what? You come first, unquote. She has nothing to do with it, and it's just like, you know, they're taught the world revolves around you. Parents, be careful. You're not teaching your children that the world and everything revolves around them. The second thing I want you to watch out for is their sexuality is messed up. I'm really not going to get onto it, but it is all messed up. They don't care about body parts. They don't care about physiology. They don't care. They're going to call whatever, whatever they want and... and nobody's a male, nobody's a female, we're all whatever, itches or whatever, I don't know. And you try to figure it out, once you figure it out, they got it changed. She is married to Liam, what's his last name? Huh? Hemsworth, Helmsworth, Hemsworth. She's married. That's the point I want to make. Good looking guy. And yet she basically says in here, you know, I'm married, but she says she's still attracted to women. She doesn't like the word wife. She thinks it's kind of looks like a put-down. you got to watch out for where they're at in regards to this selfish love for their sexuality. It's, it's messed up. 
and needs to be straightened out. And the third thing is this climate change big deal. This climate change things, from her perspective and not hers, this generation, they are scared to death of what's happening with our planet. They're scared to death. They're thinking that they're getting handed, as she calls it, a piece of S-H-you-know-what. That's what she says. That's her quote. We're getting handed this, you know. You guys have used it. You guys have abused it. They literally think AOC is correct. The world's going to be gone in 10 years. Probably because of cow flatulence or something. It's it's not so funny. They believe it. They are panicked. I'm telling you. This is how they feel. This is what they've been taught in the schools. This is what they're taught, taught, taught. Television, politics, everywhere. And she says, we're getting handed this piece of crap or whatever. So she goes on to say, um, I refuse to hand down to my child this planet until I feel like my kid would live on an earth with fish in the water. I've been a walleye fishing. I don't know what she's thinking. I'm not bringing another person to deal with that. She's not going to bring kids into the world because of it. This is ignorant love. This is self-centered love. And those three things you and I have to deal with. Watch out for it. Notice that there's no mention of anything godly or biblical at all. Um, ignorant love will have nothing to do with any entity that will correct their behavior, stay out of their life, most especially Christianity. The second type of love I'd like to talk to you other than ignorant love is what I call cafeteria love. Cafeteria love. It's, you know, you go into the cafeteria, you get the green beans, and you don't really like broccoli, so you stay away from that. You get the mashed potatoes, you know, you bulk up on carbs, you know. You get to choose whatever it is you want. You go into the cafeteria, and cafeteria love says, I'm going to pick and choose what I want to be my love and effect. And here's the thing. They change day to day, hour to hour, whatever it might be. Because their whole thinking is right feeling comes before right thinking. How I feel, and if I don't feel right, hmm, maybe I move towards sex, or maybe I move towards selfishness, or maybe I move towards pleasure, or whatever it might be. I choose what I think love is, and you have to agree with it. After all, I'm free to say what I think love is, and they are. So there's two areas I want to talk to you about. This inside Christianity, and I say that loosely, and this outside Christianity, this cafeteria love. Let's go outside Christianity. Cafeteria love paints biblical values as oppressive and bigoted. And I don't know if you know much about um, George Barna, Christian who does a lot of stats, and he says this is working. This is working most especially on young Christians because they don't want to appear hateful and they don't want to appear uncool. So they're just kind of blending in and keeping quiet. Who, who, who wants to be hated, you know? Uh, outside Christianity, it it feels right and it comes before right thinking. They choose what suits them at the time. If they happen to be in school, whether it's young school, college, you really don't have the right to give them an F, heaven help you. If they're failing, they're not doing the work, they're going to find some way, you guys know this, they're going to find some way to get them through. Shoot, when I I was a kid, an F was a star, man. I I got an F, man. My buddy... We put people back. They did better because of it. They don't ever want anybody. Cafeteria love would never fail anybody. Never put them back. We kind of try to take ABCs out of it. Let's just give them this, that, or the other, pass, fail, whatever. If they're at work and they're constantly late, it's never their fault. Cafeteria love said, you would never dock me because I'm constantly late. It's always somebody else. It was the train, it was the person in front of you, whatever it is. And heaven help you, you have to dock them or fire them because they're not doing their job well. 
Cafeteria love would never fire anybody like that. Everybody here that's been fired, you know it was a good thing for you. Where's my sis at? I'm sorry. In my, Joy's boyfriend was the manager at the Lowe's Theater in the Richmond Mall. I worked, that was a long time ago, I was an usher there, and thought because my sister's boyfriend was the manager, I could do anything I want until he fired me. <laughs> it was a good thing. Sometimes we try to protect them from everything in this world. Do you guys know what ghosting is? Ghosting is this thing that is happening in this day and generation where uh, uh, somebody tries out, uh, applies for several jobs, two, three, four jobs. They wait to receive, see who calls them back and gives them a job. I have friends this happened to. They hired somebody. They said to them, you know, they were waiting for them to come the following Thursday. They didn't show up. They called them. They didn't answer their phone. I find out this is what's happening. They go for two or three job interviews, take a couple of them, they hire, get hired, then they choose which one they want, and they don't have the courage to call back and say, I took another job. They take several of them, but they're ghosting. You never hear back from them. And some of you uh, in the work world, you know exactly what's happening. That's outside Christianity. I loosely want to talk to you now about two situations inside Christianity, hoping that it'll be something for us to watch. Hopefully it would be somebody here that will say, I'm going to have a Bible study so we know what the Word of God says. This fall is coming up. You want to have a Bible study? Please, if you're a leader and you can teach, get a Bible study about what the Scriptures teach and a falsehood that's out here. Let's look at 2 Timothy and see what Paul was saying to a young Timothy, a young pastor, I have a 2 Timothy 4. Let's start with verse 2. Timothy preached the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Now, folks, out of those three, cafeteria love every time says, why don't you just encourage me? Don't ever correct me. Don't ever rebuke me. Pastors are having a tough time with this too. Nobody wants to be correct in any way, shape, or form. Just always be kind to me or I'm going to another church. Um with great patience and careful instruction. Verse 3, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Let me give you two examples. Number one, inside the church, Pastor Rob Bell. Any of you ever hear of him? You know, for a... When I pastored years and years ago, we actually used a couple of his books. Pastor Rob Bell, he's got a following. He's out there. He's part of the emergent church, which is drawing a lot of young people into it. Some of the different things that they're doing and this little awe things. But, but he, he wrote a book called Love Wins. You ought to take a look at it. Don't pay for it. Go to the library. Don't, don't give him no money. Go to the library. Read the book Love Wins. In it, he says a good God would not send people to hell. Therefore, the conclusion in his theology is there's no such a place as hell. Now listen, quote, to what he said. Millions of people believe this, unquote. Does that not sound like verse 3? They're going to gather around them a great number of teachers. Millions of people believe this. Are you going to make a critical decision in your life based on what millions of people say? I mean, you may buy a Sony television because of reviews or something like that, but are you going to let millions of people dictate your eternity and what your theology is going to be? See, their whole thinking is right feeling comes before right thinking. What happens 
when our emotions read something in the Scriptures that we don't like, something we can't comprehend, something that's hard to digest, we kind of go with the fact that, you know, well, we'll just, we'll just kind of change it a little bit. We'll say it can't really possibly mean that, and we'll head off in a different direction. You know, millions of people say that the best thing for every one of your children is to get a college education. I'm here to let you know, before I went into ministry, I had no college education. A welder for 14 years. There's people in here today, college isn't for you. Your kid's not for your kid. Maybe they're going to be a, a machinist or a welder or a mechanic or whatever it is. And our country's hurting in that regard. Millions of people think it. Don't let it be a critical decision made in your life or your family's life. Millions of people think it. So what? So there's one, Rob, that's inside church. Folks, let me give you another one. You may know the mayor, uh, Pete Buttigieg, from Indiana, running for president of the United States. He's got a Christianity he calls progressive Christianity. And so that's I'm including him in this loosely because it has gotten into the church. He says, uh, my homosexual lifestyle is perfectly compatible with his Christian faith. Unquote. That's his words. I read an article where he says his progressive Christianity allows him to claim a commitment to faith that Jesus Christ taught, listen to this, in the Gospels. And it's perfectly okay that he lives with his male partner and is homosexual. Now this is, I've heard this more and more, everybody watch out for this. These people call their Christianity this something that Jesus taught in the four Gospels. And since he didn't deal directly with homosexuality or whatever it might be, they say it's okay. Now I think if I remember correctly, that Jesus was okay with the prophets, which is all the Old Testament and the laws. And he quoted guys like Isaiah and several other, you know, so I, I just want you to know where they're coming from. I want you to be ready. And this is what they say. Jesus never dealt with this. Of course, in my mind, and I think in your mind, Jesus' words are the entire 66 Bibles, books of the Bible. Not just in the Gospels, but I, but I digress. He knows that Vice President Pence and his wife believe that and he, they've stated that they believe that the marriage is between one woman and one man. And so, uh, as he has stated this, he, he didn't come against Buttigieg. But Buttigieg went after him. And this is what he said publicly. He says, uh, if you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my Creator. Your quarrel is with my Creator. Now, folks, this has spread this is spread to people that have alcoholism. Well, it's kind of the way I was created. Drug addiction, sex addiction, you call it whatever it is. It has spread to all kinds of people saying, this is why I was created. Well, they're close, but no cigar. Every one of us here is creating God's image, but the problem is, is that sinful nature that every one of us have, that original sin that I said, it picks on something different in each and every one of us, and there's a great temptation to sin. And God, in His Word, tells me what is true, and that helps me pull away from it and do what is right. I love Pence's response. I wish I was this clever. Pence didn't come back at him with some Bible verse, this, that, the other. Pence goes at him and says this, quote, I think Pete's quarrel is with the First Amendment. Genius. He didn't take, he didn't take it into the Bible. He just basically said, well, what about the First Amendment? Then he goes on and says, all of us in this country have the right to our Christian beliefs. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. You see what happens? They're okay to believe what they want, but heaven help anybody who disagrees with them. You're not free to feel how you want. 
Cafeteria love has no room for sin. But it's slipping into Christianity and many Christians don't know what the Bible teaches and they become deceived by it also or maybe pressure. Watch out for your children. Watch out for your teenagers. Watch out what they're... It's hard to stand up against some of this. Number three, of course you know number three, simple. God's love. God's love is defined as the Bible defines what God's love is. All you need is love, no doubt about it. God's love as defined in the Scriptures. When I find something in the Scriptures, unlike the cafeteria love or the the ignorant love, that teaches something that's tough, I don't redefine who God is. I I don't go back and, and because my conscience can't handle it, say who God is or who God isn't. That, my friend, is breaking of of one of the Ten Commandments that says, you shall not make God in your image. That is making God in my image. I love this passage of Scripture here. 1 John 4. This, uh, we could go so many different places. Verse 7. Dear friends, speaking to Christians, people who have been saved, people who have the love of God in the heart, let us love one another for love comes from God. He would not be saying this if the love of God wasn't in their heart at first. That's how it starts. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now the question is, how is that defined? We'll talk about that in just a second. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Okay, Miley, you don't want selfless love? Then don't turn to Christianity because God the Father sent a sin-free son to set you free. Read on. This is how God showed his love. Uh, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We didn't, didn't start with us. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Love thinks about others that are less than them. Love, God shows us, thinks about others that maybe need a sacrifice to go out of the way for them. As I'm talking to you here today, I'm careful. I don't want to build up an animosity among us against them. Because this passage of Scripture says, Jesus died for them, verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. God's love flows from the very fact that His action was to see sinners and to see they needed His Savior, they needed His Son, and He sent His Son. Everything else flows from that. Now let's take a look at everything that comes under the fact that God is love. God created this world. And everything in this world is good, and yet in the same time, there's evil in the world. And so we look at the world, and we look at this. Jesus said, you know, God makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, which is basically says there are people in this world that could care less about God, use his son's name in vain all the time, and yet they have farms, and they're prosperous. They have a business, and they're prosperous. They have a family, or they have a, a, a husband or a wife, or you name it. They have and they have and they have. And God is good. And he tells us, hey everybody, be good to your enemies. My father's good to them. It shows you're different. There's something different about you. God's love is good to all kinds of people. But to those who will believe in his son, God's love becomes his grace, an unmerited favor. For those who would repent, God's love gives them forgiveness. For those who would rebel, the freedom of God says you have the freedom to rebel. But just understand that love dictates that punishment, judgment, and wrath follows rebellion. And that's what teaches, Scripture teaches. God says, I, I discipline those I love. 
Hebrews 11. What parent doesn't love their children and, and discipline them? Passage of Scripture we read and continue we're looking at in Bible study. God, we find out, uses trials and sufferings to refine our faith, to help us know really what it is and what we're about. Those who have cafeteria love or ignorant love, when testings and trials come their way, first thing that is, how could a good God that you say you serve let this happen to me? Trials are useless to them. They serve no purpose. For Christians, God, in His awesomeness, though He doesn't cause them, understands we live in this world, He can take all things and work them together for good to those who love Him. You know that. I know that. This is what He does. we got to be careful when problems come our way that we just don't say God is not a good God anymore. See, for God's love, it has to be the opposite of cafeteria love. Right thinking comes before right feeling. you got to think right. And the way to think right is to get into God's Word. That gets us into His head, and we get to hear His voice. What He says is right. Now, there are things in the Scriptures that all of us struggle with, things I today don't understand. Uh, we can read the story of the prodigal son and understand that the prodigal son was so loved by his father that when he asked to be free, that when he asked to say, give me my stuff, give me my money, let me get out of here, let me get out of here. and the father in that story represents God the Father and says, you have the freedom to do that. And you know the story, he goes off and wanders off and spends it all, ends up eating pig slop. And I, I, I love this. Somebody says there's a picture of, of, of somebody who is in a gutter, eating out of a gutter, and, and they're just a downcast homeless person. And below it says, and when he came to his senses. I love that. And when Evan came to his senses, when he's 25 years old and heard the gospel, he went from just being religious to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And when he came to his senses, he went back and says, my dad's servants got more than this, man. I'm heading home. I'll just go home as a servant. Now, here's the thing. The same God in that story, the same in the Bible, will allow anybody to pick up and take anything you have and spend it all on yourself. And since you don't want to love Him here, He will never force you to love Him forever in eternity. Never. You'll just have your whatever He defines as hell because hell is a real place mentioned by Jesus more than I think any individual writer in the scriptures. Jesus mentioned hell. It's a place. There are stories I don't get. The Bible says Jacob he loved, Esau he hated. You say, what does he mean by that? Well, you understand the story that Esau was the oldest and didn't think enough of his birthright that he was hungry one day and sold it to his brother for some food. And the scripture says Though he pleaded with tears, he could not be reconciled. I read Proverbs 29.1, it's in your notes. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. I don't know if that necessarily says they just live and all of a sudden they die there in eternity, or if that is saying, Evan, it seems to be that there's a line that can be crossed of no return. I admit, there's some things that are... T- I, I don't necessarily have the answer. I'm just contemplating. You see, God's love is demonstrated in the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ, for my sins, for your sins. Not that we loved Him first. He loved us. Do you love anybody that has ignorant love or cafeteria love enough to get into their life, to get up close to them, to share Christ with them? If you 
created and invented a widget. Would you not have the right to name it whatever you want and define it for whatever you want? Evan Nunley's widgets, five for a dollar. It wouldn't be that anybody that bought them said they were going to call them something different. You may not know what a CNC machine is, but everybody in this room has multiple items in your home or parts that were created by a CNC machine. It's a computer numerical control machine. I was in a welding shop. We had a couple of them. Some of you run them. It's a machine that runs by a computer program. The computer program, you put it in and it takes, whether it's plastic or metal or wood or whatever it might be, and boom, it, it creates it. I got a graphic up here. There's a picture up here of a, a, of a, a CNC machine that was made by a company called Haas, H-A-A-S. It was made and created by them. They called it the Haas five-axis CNC machine. And this one's important some heads. I mean, nobody even questions that. They get, a ch- they get to name it when it's not the nunnally five-axis CNC machine. They get to name it. They didn't send it out and sell it to uh, machine shops and, and auto repair places and say, well, why don't you guys just call it whatever you want? No, they got to name it. And the creator of the universe... Created everything that we have. He gets to define what love is. He gets to say what love is. And that's why it's just so simply in your notes, the asterisk, I just have that the God of creation defines love. He's the one who gets to define it. Say what you want, say this to that. The God of the Bible who sent us on Jesus Christ and sacrificed him for our sins, he gets to say. He was so doggone good to you and to me. After you gave your life to Jesus Christ, he now did something new. Sitting at the right hand of the Father, he poured out his Holy Spirit. So now, though created in God's image and before as a sinner, now having repented of your sins and having the Spirit of God live inside of you, now you can walk in his image. Now you can walk in a holy life. All has been prepared for us to be able to walk and to be that way. So now I guess the thing that would make the most sense is after you know that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor whether they have ignorant love or cafeteria love, whatever it might be and don't walk around saying, but who's my neighbor? Don't walk around saying, who's my neighbor? In your notes at the bottom I have, we live love. We live biblical love. We know there's a time to uh, correct and rebuke and discipline and teach and encourage. We know that. We know according to what the scriptures teach us. We see Jesus as the Father's picture of his love. That's where it started from. We are kind and compassionate to those who don't know any better. There are many that don't. Let's not become judgmental of them. Let's be there for them. That's one of the things they accuse us of. Whenever we say something, you know, correctively, you guys are just full of judgmentalism. And then the third thing is, is we do not tolerate so-called Christians who redefine God's love. Inside the church, we've got to call it out. We've got to look for it. We have to be educated about it. That's a little bit of what I hope to do here today. I close with this story. Uh, this past Friday, I did something I really like to do at least once a week if I can. I take my laptop, I take my work, and I go down to uh, uh, Madison uh, Township Park right down there by the lake. There is a really nice um, boat ramp that's there. But uh, I wasn't out on the water because the winds were northwest and the waves were three, maybe four foot sometimes. They were white capping. I'm sitting there, 
And this big honking pickup truck pulls in, pulling a center console about maybe 20 foot with a decent sized engine on it. He pulls in, looks at the wind and the waves and looks at it and he says, nah, and he pulls out. I'm sitting there working a little bit. This guy with this small little SUV pulls in with a 14 foot aluminum boat. Some of you know what that is. Some of you, the little motor on the back, three foot waves. And I said, no. They're going to do it. They started to back down, take the boat off. I was parked over here. I said, I got to see this. I, I moved my car, I swear to you. I, put, I moved my car over here. I said, I got to watch this out. I got to get 911 on my speed dial. They put that the water, backed it down into the water. The other guy pulled off. They're waiting there. They put off in there. They start this little putzing boat and it's out there. And half the time, I'm not seeing half of the boat. You know, they're going right into the waves because if they don't, they're going to they're gonna capsize, no doubt. And they have no life jackets on. And one guy's over 300 pounds. And that boat's like, please help me. And he is bouncing the back of the boat, and they're going out there, and I'm watching. I'm back and forth, and I'm watching, I'm watching back and forth. I'm thinking, did you guys not see several weeks ago, everybody, two guys in a 14-foot boat, maybe 14-foot, capsized in Geneva, both passed away, no life jackets? On shore, they heard the screams, help us, but they didn't know where it was coming from. I'm working, I'm looking, I'm working. I got involved in what I was doing. I wasn't watching like I should. And I looked up. I had no idea how much time passed. And they were back at the dock. Like space time. I actually got a picture here. Could you put that picture up here? Here's a picture I took on my phone. Here's the big dude holding on to the post with the wind blowing him sideways. Passage of Scripture. <laughs> I'm sorry. The one guy's holding on. The other guy's going to get the get the boat. There's another guy sitting on a bench doing the same thing I am. He's sitting there getting ready to dial 911. And in the guy that was in the boat walks by the guy and says, "Yeah, it's just too rough out there." <laughs> and the thought came to my mind. And when they had come to their senses, right? When they had come to their senses, they got back to a safe harbor, and to a safe dockage. And as I was praying this morning, I had a sense that the Lord was saying, there's some people today, they, they're out in the water. And Dave, could you just come play for me just for a second? You're out in the world. Maybe it's something you did. Maybe it's something you didn't do. But the wind and the wave has been battering against you. It's been against you. It's been pushing against you. I don't know if it's something, like I said, you cause or whatever it is. Today, it doesn't matter. The question is, not disrespectfully, are we going to come to our senses? Maybe you just kind of wandered off and you've been just trying to do it yourself. Maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not. It happens to all of us. We've just been trying to do something. There's that one thing, everything else is good, maybe this isn't good. And we've just been into the waves, into it, and... Today, Jesus said, why don't you just come to your senses? Come back to me. Come back to a safe harbor. You may know him, but whatever it is you've been carrying, you've been trying to make the decision like, like we try to do. And so, could you, just, could you bow your heads today? Could you close your eyes? And could I just ask those of you here today that that's just kind of the place that you feel, could you just reach your hand up to heaven this morning? Right wherever you're at, just reach your hand up to heaven saying, you know, I've just been battling against it. I kind of 
got to the place where maybe you forgot about Christ, maybe you didn't, but it's just, you just want to get back to safe harbor and you just want to make sure that Jesus says, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, don't fear no evil. I'm going to be with you. Go ahead, you can lower your hands today. Jesus, you have the wonderful, amazing characteristic that you can see what's in the hearts of all of the lives of everyone here today. For each and every one of us, maybe there's somebody here today, they kind of got their life all tied up and they've wandered away from you. Today, they just got to get back to that safe harbor. Maybe there's some Christian here today, somehow or another your spirit spoke to them and said, you've just been battling the waves, been battling the wind, and it's just like the Spirit of God spoke to you this morning. Come to your senses. Come back home. Come back, be with Christ. Spend time with Him. You've been off and trying to do this yourself and trying to accomplish this. The world may be batting against you. And look, people today, I'm not saying Jesus is going to solve it, but I'm going to say He's going to be with you. His presence is a powerful, powerful thing. He'll be with you. And maybe for that one here today or two, you got out into the world and it's just battering against you and you, you're where you're at, but this you know. You are far from Christ. And you want to come home to a safe harbor. You want to receive that love of the Lord Jesus Christ that comes from forgiveness after repentance. That the Spirit of God will come to live inside of you and help and make you a brand new creation. You ask Him to forgive your sins. You ask Him to come into your heart and your life. You come tell me. My... my phone number, my cell number, my email is on the back of the program. Contact me this week. I want to talk with you and pray with you. Jesus, today, we bring honor and glory to you in everything we do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.